the day on Ag News Daily. Some places like in Oklahoma are having like the driest 30-day stretch of weather that we have on record. Our records go back to the late uh, 1800s. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Hall joined today by Tanner Winterhoff, and we are chatting weather on today's podcast, Tanner, so it's going to be a good one. Yeah, it will. Uh, weather is one of those topics, kind of like an economist, that uh, if you get it right enough times, you can be called a professional. Otherwise, you're just a regular person like us. Well, I like to think that Eric Snodgrass gets it right pretty often, so let's consider him a weather guy. Oh, I think Eric has got it all figured out. He'll be a good one for us to have on. First thing, Delaney, I think both you and I have a little bit to touch on is this overwhelming, looming potential railroad strike. Uh, Of course, if a deal is not reached by Sunday, July 17th, the rail union has already voted to go on strike. However, a lot of news sources are reporting that it's likely expected there will be an appointment of a PEB by that deadline. So that's where President Biden will step in and appoint his presidential emergency board to investigate and make recommendations for a settlement. What other pieces around this are you seeing, Delaney? Well, I actually saw that the deal expires on Monday. So I had a different, I guess, date. Regardless, though, I'm seeing a lot of the same things that you're seeing, Tanner. Some of the key issues they're suggesting have been uh, the pay, which has been $3 over the CBOT price to secure grain by truck, and people are not eager to pay that price. Yeah. I, uh, I was seeing that as well. You know, the end users, those that need feed uh, are certainly the ones that are going to hurt the most. I also saw an article uh, related to this causing a nationwide log jam was the headline here. Uh, rail service disruptions have now slowed U.S. cargo flows at port, continuing to potentially stoke inflation, which is already at a 40-year high, which we reported on yesterday. The port of Los Angeles has uh, might be potentially reaching pandemic level delays with uh, 37 ships in queue. At pandemic levels, there was over 100 ships queuing offshore. The South South California port docks typically have a goal to have no more than 9,000 rail containers sitting at their port docks. It is reported there are more than 29,000 there currently. So Uh, The port industry is calling on President Biden to make sure that they put as much emphasis on this contract negotiation as possible. Um, So it's getting a lot of attention from a lot of different angles, Delaney. Yeah, and the port worker negotiations, that one I have been searching and not a lot of news coming out about that. Uh, negotiation process. So Tanner, I don't know when those contracts expire, but for sure, railroads do on Sunday night slash Monday. That's correct. I think they are taking the benefit uh, of the headlines coming from uh, the rail industry. So that way they are not riding high there, but um, it'll be a long time to get this backlog 
figured out. But in other industry, that is, uh, like I mentioned last week, kind of keeping their finger on the pulse is what it seems like is ethanol. Ethanol production fell again to the two-month low. Output last week dropped to the lowest level in over two months while inventories continued to increase. I made a speculation last week, Delaney, that uh, they must know the demand was starting to subside a little bit, so they're backing off production. Production backed way off, declined to an average of 1.05 million barrels a day. That is down from the 1.044, so 005 if I missed that second zero. Uh, so again, that is the lowest since the week ending May 13th. But stockpiles have risen. They rose to 23.6 million barrels for that week ending July 8th. That is up from 23.49 million barrels we reported on the week ahead of that. So keeping a good finger on the pulse of the ethanol industry, it's just not something we want to see as demand looks to be subsiding. Well, Tanner, it's a little bit of a slow news day today, which I think we welcome. But I do have a couple of updates here on the Russian-Ukraine situation. Ukraine said yesterday, or early this morning, I should say, that they are a step closer to reaching a deal to export grain through the Black Sea after they had some positive talks with Russia, the United Nations, and Turkey. But that also comes on the heels here. After those positive talks, Russian missiles struck the Ukrainian city of Vinitizia, not probably pronouncing that correctly, um, (laughs) which is beyond the front lines. This happened, I guess, early Thursday morning for our U.S. listeners. And they have said that it's left quite a few folks dead, about 15 and counting so far, including a small child, uh, lots uh, more than a dozen wounded. And this came, like I said, there just a day after they suggested in the headlines that they had been progressing in some really positive talks. However, any kind of a peace settlement right now is maybe not in sight, but they were at least on the progress of how do we get grain out of the country? Uh, The Russian defense ministry denies, of course, targeting civilians and didn't comment on this current strike, and just kind of left it hush-hush, Tanner. But this city that was attacked is about 125 miles southwest of Kiev, and is pretty far from the main front lines in the eastern and southern region, which have had the most aggression uh, through military action. Interesting. Yeah, that uh, it's good that there's a focus on making sure we can get some grain out of the country. Uh, it'll be a continued focus as we talked with. Uh, it'll be a continued focus after our conversation uh, with Newsom on Monday that you know how much of the crop there is going to be able to be harvested and what happens to it once it does get through the combine. But the last piece that I have is maybe a good lead-in to our conversation with Eric today. This is coming from John at DTN. They put together their moisture chart that shows the soil moisture deficits are now coming to head at really a pretty poor time. We talked about corn starting to tassel. We've got pollination upon us here pretty quick. And if you look at the chart here, Delaney, the uh, Dakotas, Montana are are wet. There's adequate moisture there. You look at the Florida, uh, Alabama, Carolinas up through, you know, the Eastern part of Tennessee, West Virginia, 
area are adequate, but there is a huge band from Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, Wisconsin. Of course, it covers Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana. There's a band right through what I'd call, it's not the Corn Belt exactly, but it is definitely the breadbasket, the, uh, the area of the country with a lot of grain production in place is all showing a moisture deficit. So tassels are out, beans will be flowering, uh, and we're reaching the most important time of year for soil moisture to be available for crops for them to pollinate effectively. So this is um, especially true for the areas that I think a majority of our listeners come from, but uh, this model is showing soil moisture in the top eight inches of soil. Again, this is DTN's data, and it'll be interesting to catch up with Eric to see what he has to say for forecast, because if we turn off hot and dry, like you've been mentioning, Delaney, we've already got some areas that are drier than they want to be. Well, absolutely, Tanner. And that's the questions we're going to get answered today with Eric. But before we do that, Tanner, we got to take a look at where the markets have been trading in the overnight session heading into opening here on Thursday morning. And the big story is probably, of course, there's no limits on the front month July contract here in soybeans. And the July contract were up 71 cents overnight. However, the rest of the market is not following suit as people are unloading uh, old crop corn, or excuse me, old crop soybeans here. New crop soybeans are down about 16 cents in the overnight, trading right around 13.33. Overnight corn is down about two pennies, around 5.93. And in the wheat pits, we're seeing some mixed trade in the Chicago contract as uh, the front months here are trading fairly positive. Uh, July old crop corn again, it's in delivery, so we're not paying a huge amount of attention to it, but it is trading in negative territory this morning. And lastly, in the livestock markets this morning, Tanner, they are trading in the positive with uh, somewhat neutral and live cattle. So we'll see how those markets open up here in just a little bit. Yeah, no kidding, Ned. That's big news on the soybean side. I don't know if we would have seen that coming Monday, as we reported. So it's always how a week can turn around. You always have to pay attention. But no further ado, let's get some of our weather questions answered with Eric Snodgrass. Well, folks, as promised, we are chatting today with Eric Snodgrass, Principal Atmospheric Scientist for Nutrient Ag Solutions. Eric, how are you doing today? Not too bad. I'm uh, I'm on the cooler side of this heat wave that's going on right now across the country. So it'll get to us soon, but uh, right now it's not too bad here. Well, and I think that's a good segue, Eric, because we've been talking obviously a lot about the weather since it impacts what we do in agriculture, but we're hearing a lot of mixed reports about if July is going to be hot and dry or wet. And is it Fill us in. Is it just a geographic location thing or is there a major trend going on here? No, I think it's a major, I think it's a, a geographic lo- location thing. And you have a lot of folks that got very beneficial rains in early July. We had just multiple complexes of large thunderstorms that um, rolled through parts of Iowa and Illinois into part of Indiana. Uh, even South Dakota and Minnesota got some great rains. And then You know, in the same breath, I can say there was a lot of people that were missed by all of this, saw some high heat, high evaporation rates, and and their crops look terrible, especially especially parts of the Mid-South, 
Uh, so from Western Kentucky and Tennessee through Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Kansas, there's just several places that uh, are desperate for rainfall. In fact, that little area I just talked about there, uh, some places like in Oklahoma are having like the driest 30-day stretch of weather that we have on record. Our records go back to the late uh, 1800s. So uh, it, it feels like this conversation where one day you're talking to all the folks that have had great rain and then the next you're talking to folks that are desperate for anything before they have crop failure. So the country's split right now. Yeah, and I would say when you watch social media, whether it's it's Twitter or another platform of choice, you know, you, you kind of get pigeonholed due to the algorithms uh, as to what you get to see. But you know, areas like you were saying, the Tennessee, Kentucky, um, folks there are showing corn crops that don't look very good. But when we talk markets every Monday, we always factor in weather. So let, let's go Corn Belt right now. Let's focus on maybe the I-States area. How are things going to look here for, you know, some pretty important pollinating time? Yeah, and that, that pollination time is late, right? I mean, we, the crop is doing it now uh, and, and, and through the next, you know, 10 to 15 days. Uh, where in previous years, when things go on on time, it's usually the beginning of July. So now it makes this mid-July to almost the beginning of August rain uh, quite important for pollination. So, yeah, you talk about the ice states, just as an example, uh, some very timely rains hit Iowa, uh, and especially right through the center part of the state. Same thing for parts of Illinois. You know, my folks live over in Sangamon County. That's where Springfield, Illinois is. It's a huge county all corn and soybeans, five inches of rain. I live on the eastern side of the state in Champaign County, a big county for corn and beans. And where I'm at, we're actually in severe drought. We only got an inch out of that and you wouldn't even have noticed it when looking at, uh, at things. Uh, so the only thing that's saving parts of that corridor, that important corridor of the ice states is that we do have, you know, everybody knows there's good soil there that can hang on to moisture long enough. But you know, you ask as we go forward, what are, what's going to happen? Well, the heat's coming in from the west. So western Iowa, uh, from Nebraska, from South Dakota, uh, the, the temperatures, even by, you know, the, the end of this week through the weekend, are going to start to touch in the mid to upper 90s with hundreds in, in Kansas, Nebraska, and, and South Dakota. Uh, and corn can endure that even during pollination for a couple of days especially if the overnight lows get down below 70, but we're not expecting them to do that in the Western Corn Belt. And that high heat is expected to hang around. I mean, honestly, possibly clear to the end of the month. Um, it could break down late in the month, but at least in the 26th, 27th, we're seeing uh, the risk of heat west. Eastern side of that same region, you know, the eastern side of the Corn Belt, we could get very beneficial rains from what we call ridge riding thunderstorms. And I've been kind of rooting on the models as of late because they're trying to bring in some pretty generous rains late this week and this weekend through parts of eastern Iowa, Illinois, southern Wisconsin, Indiana, Ohio, possibly into Tennessee, Kentucky. So that could really buy a lot of time. So I think we're talking about a situation here where it's west versus east on who's got the heat and potential drought development versus who gets those beneficial ridge riding storms. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned some of those storms, Eric, because I get your uh, morning newsletter and I've seen all the reports that you've mentioned about just the number of severe storms that we've seen this year, which I guess I haven't paid super close attention in the past to know, is this more than normal? But we've also seen reports of, of course, the derecho-like conditions that swept across part of the northern plains a couple weeks ago. 
What are we expecting to see the rest of this year as far as severe weather goes? Uh, let's let's talk here like through the next couple of months into harvest season. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it, with ridge riding storms, we have an increased threat of straight line wind damage. That's just the way it is. Just the winds uh, and these storms come out of the northwest and they sweep very quickly toward the southeast. So you're right. There was actually two different ratio events that hit in and around like Sioux Falls, right? We had one back in May and then one a couple, uh, what was that, 10, 15 days ago. Uh, then we had um, multiple straight line wind events at the Eastern Corn Belt. So I, I often wonder how much of the crop was damaged by these wind events. You do see pictures, but you never know the true acreage of it. And it's not really shown up really well in the NDBI imagery. But you asked about going forward. You know, this is one of those years where we're continuing to see the a high wind threat from these storms, which is the category where we're well above average uh, this year on storm reports. We're continuing to see that threat going into the end of July and through the month of August. Uh, whereas normally we start to see those severe weather threat events backing off in August. I don't think we're gonna see that this year. So I've always had a, I don't know if you wanna call it a fascination, but maybe a misunderstanding and a, and a sense of wonder about hurricane season and when that actually is. So maybe there's other listeners that are like me and could use some clarification on when hurricane season is typically, and then how does that set us up for this year, as well as what might affect our farmer listeners as they listen to this? Sure. So, you know, we typically, or we being the National Hurricane Center, defines the hurricane season starting June 1st and going to December 1st. And uh, it reaches a peak right around September 10th through September 12th. That's all historical data. But the, the, the most active months are August, September, and October. And uh, we normally don't really get systems going until we get fully into the month of August. So um, when we think about hurricanes, especially if, if you're a Midwestern grower, uh, we, we watch for the systems that come up the gut of the Mississippi. So if you get a system in the Gulf that turns right there into Louisiana, goes to Arkansas, it could deliver rain uh, into Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, and, and much of the Eastern Corn Belt. We can also, believe it or not, get hurricanes that deliver moisture to the Midwest that actually come from the Pacific. They don't come through California, they actually come through uh, um, Mexico. And the moisture gets into Texas and then just keeps getting pulled farther to the north and can spread across the ice states, even as far north as the Great Lakes. It's the moisture, it's not the, the characteristic of a hurricane, but the moisture of it. So um, yeah, the, and that's what's very difficult to predict. So you talk about the, the, the mysteriousness of it. You know, we are not able to predict where a hurricane's gonna go or even when it's gonna form more than about seven to 10 days in advance. So sometimes, you know, you could be deep in drought meeting that August or that early September rain and a tropical system shows up and delivers. And no, couldn't have estimated that happening more than just a few days in advance as to where it's gonna put down its moisture. And I'll be honest with you, I got a lot of folks farther to the south of the Corn Belt, I'm talking about Texas, Oklahoma, parts of Arkansas, Louisiana, where they would uh, welcome, they would just welcome a, a slow moving, weak, you know, tropical system that could just deliver a lot of rain to kind of eliminate all of the major drought risks that's in that area. Yeah, I think there's a lot of parts of the country that would appreciate some wet weather, Eric, but we certainly appreciate you delivering some news of what weather we can expect here over the next couple of months. But like I mentioned earlier, you do a morning newsletter. If our subscribers are 
if our listeners are not subscribed, how can they get subscribed to that newsletter? Yeah, probably the easiest thing to do is just to shoot me an email and I'll send you the quick sign up link. My email is eric, that's E-R-I-C dot snodgrass, S-N-O-D-G-R-A-S-S at nutrient.com. That's like the word nutrient without the T. And uh, I can get them signed up for free. You can unsubscribe anytime. It doesn't hurt my feelings. But it's just a way to kind of stay on top of national weather and international weather. Because by the way, Delaney, don't forget, we have a pretty massive yes. heat wave going through Europe right now. <laughs> so there's plenty of, uh, of weather story happening uh, elsewhere around the world that uh, I kind of keep track of and make sure folks understand. Because if weather's going to move the markets, I want to make sure that I'm able to talk about it and give folks the best information. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned Europe, Eric. But uh, once again, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, you bet. Well, there you go, Delaney. Another informal, whoops. Well, there you go, Delaney. Another informational interview for our listeners. We certainly learned a lot. We certainly did, Tanner. And I think hopefully our listeners did too. You know, there's it's hard to predict weather, but it's it's doable, I guess. I've never understood how weather forecasts aren't just 50-50 and a percentage, but, you know. <laughs> Eric tries to educate me on that one every time. Yeah, I do. I, I don't always understand. It's like, how can we have an 80% chance and not get anything? Or how could it be a 30% chance and we just got an inch of rain? So very, very interesting. But if you have a guest idea or suggestion like this one, make sure you find Ag News Daily on your social media platform of choice and let us know. But what do you say for today? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. 